A very good morning to you. I'm Howard Feldman. This is the Sunday Synthesis Podcast. It is November the 15th. Who would have, have uh, believed it? We've got two weeks left of this month. And uh, after that, we'll be taking a bit of a break for the COVID podcast, resuming in January, if necessary. Um, uh, who knows what the situation will be then. It is a beautiful, beautiful summer's morning here in Johannesburg. It is uh, truly spectacular. It is a phenomenal time of year as we head towards uh, summer holidays. It feels good. With the uh, president spoke on, uh, on uh, I think it was Thursday evening or Wednesday evening, and uh, he didn't have any really bad news for us, but uh, we've decided to check in, as we always do, with Dr. Anton Marburg, pulmonologist, COVID specialist. A very good morning. Uh, how are we doing? Good morning. So we're currently doing okay, in inverted commas, in South Africa at the moment. If we look at the worldwide trends, there are currently 54,344,494 cases worldwide with 1,318,452 deaths and 37 million cases resolved. America are in trouble, there are only 11,226,218 cases with 251,000 confirmed deaths. The United States set a new record yesterday with 170,000 new cases in one day and 1,300 deaths. South Africa has gone down to 15th on the world odometer, and we're sitting at 749,182 cases with 20,206 deaths, of which there were 2,237 new cases in the last 24 hours. There are currently 1,681 cases in hospitals in Gauteng, with 155 in ICU and 81 cases ventilated. So overall, our numbers are down, we are doing better, but our problem places are still provinces like the Eastern Cape, where we are very worried that numbers are going up dramatically. All right, let's just talk about that for a moment, because the president did allude to the Eastern Cape. What is going on there and why? Hospitals are full there. Um, people have dropped their guard. They're not wearing masks. They're not socially distancing. They're not sanitizing. And because of that, the virus has gone rampant there and is spreading dramatically. People are still containing it within the Eastern Cape at the moment, but if that gets out of sync and there's a lot of cross-border travel with sick people, it's going to spread to the other provinces. So you've got to be very careful. In fact, so it's so bad that at the moment that they've been asking for doctors to go there and work voluntarily in hospitals there to try and help with the numbers that they have. We don't have any spare Cubans. <laughs> Aren't those those things that you smoke? <laughs> <laughs> right. I think I, I'm, I'm not sure. It, uh, yeah. Uh, so, so the Eastern Cape is, is, is obviously, as we know, looking quite bad. We've had a couple of questions, in fact, around them because a lot of people working and living in Johannesburg uh, are from the Eastern Cape. They're going to be going home for the holiday period for Christmas uh, and, and then coming back to continue working here in Johannesburg and, and in other cities. How should we be dealing with it? Because we don't have quarantine requirements at the moment from uh, interprovincial uh, inter travel. Yes, I, I think you've got to be very responsible. If you, let's say your domestic worker is going home to the Eastern Cape for the December period, they're going home for a, a two week or a three week period. When they come back, I think it's realistic that you should ask them to quarantine. 
because you don't know what kind of environment they're going to be in. Eastern Cape is the hot spot at the moment. There's certain places in Eastern Cape where there are larger, denser numbers of people that are infected. And if people come back from a holiday and they don't quarantine, having been in a red zone, we like to call it, then there will be a higher transmissibility factor. And it's probably prudent to say that someone who has been there that's not taking care of all the needs, it isn't wearing a mask, that isn't socially distancing, should then quarantine for two weeks before they, they're exposed to other people. And, uh, and people traveling down to that area, we've got a lot of people that are looking to go away. I think there was some nervousness that this would be curtailed when the president spoke. It's very clear that that's not going to happen, which is great news. But uh, what does it mean if people are actually traveling to that area? So it means people need to be responsible. If you're traveling to that area, remember once you cross the border, coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2 is still there. It's still able to be transmitted and it's still a very contagious virus. And it means that if you do go to the shops, social distance if possible, wear a mask, wear a visor if you're going into highly dense populated shops where there are lots of people. If, if possible, try to do online shopping to try and prevent yourself from having to go into sort of populated areas like that. Right, and we actually are going to, in a short while, talk about specifically some ideas around holiday. Uh, but before we do that, let's, uh, let, let's look at some, some of the, the questions. In fact, before we do that even, are you seeing any cases in hospital at the moment? So right now, as of Sunday morning, we haven't got any confirmed cases in our hospital. There are a few people under investigation that we are waiting for results for, but there's no cases in the hospital at present. In the hospital that, that you're associated with. The one that I'm working with, in Kauteng. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean that there aren't cases in other hospitals, but in your particular hospital, which has been... Well, as we know, very, in Kauteng, there's over 180 patients right. in hospital, in the whole right. of Kauteng. Right. Um, Brian wants to know, and, and it's a very strange question, can a nose full of chicken antibodies ward off coronavirus infections? Is that a real question? Or so is somebody actually, pulling that, my leg? That actually is a real question. Um, in fact, the Australians are using nasal drops that contain chicken antibodies that they've isolated from the SARS-CoV-2 virus for temporary infection. And, and what that may, basically means is- Look, the Australians are very nervous around this whole COVID thing, I've noticed. <laughs> yeah. well, very if you look nervous. at uh, Sydney versus Melbourne, it's uh, completely different uh, areas mm. there. But the idea is that you will sniff these nasal drops before getting into a crowded area or crowded working space, or before getting onto a plane, or before joining a family for a get together. And these antibodies will give you temporary protection against getting the virus. So these antibodies are actually harvested from um, chickens. They actually take them from the chickens, which they've immunized with the spark protein, uh, the surface protein of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And they're hoping that this will give a temporary relief and allow you to go into temporary sort of uh, conditions where you can expose yourself without getting exposed to the virus. But normal chicken soup doesn't do that. Well, we live and learn. Right, uh, because of course that has been a, a, a well-tried and tested. Uh, so, so it's actually a real question. Is there any likelihood of us being um, having access to this here? I think so. I think if, if they manage to pull it off, it will be groundbreaking research and, and it will be very good. And I don't know how expensive it will be. That's the other mm. issue there. But I mean, it could be very warranted and a very good treatment or prophylactic treatment. 
Right. Um, Jody wants to know, I'm not sure if this has been asked, apologies if it has, um, of all my friends and family um, that have had COVID, none of them have had temperatures. So why are we still testing temperatures when we go into shops, schools, restaurants, etc.? It's a great question. We have spoken about it before, but it is a bit perplexing. I've been wondering the same thing. Yeah, I, I do think it's a fantastic question, and we don't have all the answers to why. But some of the reasons are that we still have to do screening and testing. And that's one of the easiest ways to screen people coming into a crowded environment, environment where people are. And just remember, there's more than one virus. There's not only coronavirus, there's other viruses that are going around that can make people sick. So it's basically part of a screening tool. It's not the only essential thing. You can't just go somewhere and say that the temperature has been taken. You normally fill out a form if you're going to like a, a house of worship or something like that, where you actually discuss if you've had any contacts, if you've been around people that might be sick, if you've been traveling anywhere where there's red zones. So I think it can be used not in isolation, but it must be used in together with other issues, saying that you need multiple factors to decide if you're at risk and if you are able to transmit the virus. We know initially at the, at the beginning of the virus, one of the main features of the virus was people with a temperature, people with a sore throat. Now we've learned new things about the virus, loss of smell, loss of taste, abdominal cramps, together with a fever, together with a cough, these are all associated. So I wouldn't say right now is the time to stop testing temperatures. I think it's still very important, albeit that we don't see the fact that people are, are, are having temperatures who are going to all these places of worship, but maybe one of the reasons why people are cognizant of the fact that if they have got a temperature, they can't go somewhere. Mm. Should, should there still be a requirement? You know, we, we haven't really changed um, the requirement in terms of places of worship and things like that, in terms of booking in advance, filling in forms. Is that still something that, that you think we need to be doing? Or should we rather just keep a record of who's there and uh, in case someone's been exposed? You see, I think through doing things continuously, you become used to doing them. And we don't know what's going to be happening in end of January, beginning of February, if and when we get a second wave or the second surge. And if we continue doing it now, it'll be much easier to continue doing it throughout that time. If we don't get the second surge, then I would say, yeah, let's, let's stop it. Mm. But in the interim, it's really not a hard thing to do. And it just helps with people being aware of what they're doing and why they're doing things in order to protect other people. What is your feeling around the second surge? Do you think that uh, there is a possibility that we will avoid it here in South Africa? My personal feeling is no, I don't think we will avoid it. If we look at all other countries all over the world, you know, all these other countries allow, uh, allowed international travel and they go they're in their winter months. So, I mean, that, that in itself in the Northern Hemisphere has just ballooned out with numbers of viruses, been contagiousness of the virus spreading everywhere. And once we get closer to February, March, and it starts getting a bit cooler, and once there's been a lot of international travel, because now there's no restriction on the international travel or quarantine regarding it, I think we will see a high spread from other countries, and we will fall uh, prey to a second surge. That is, unless we get a vaccine, which we will not be getting before March or April next year in this country. We're going to be talking about the vaccine in a moment, but uh, the the idea that people can travel from every country to South Africa, it will be happening in December. Does that scare you? Yeah, that, that scares me a lot because you're getting people that are coming from 
America, you're getting people that are coming from Europe in places where the virus is rampant and they may have a three-day test that uh, has been done in 72 hours with them getting on the plane or arriving to South Africa, that doesn't mean they can't still be contagious or they can't still actually make virus in the system for up to five to seven days after that and they can spread the virus and we can get people getting a second strain of different types of virus coming from overseas. So that does scare me. All right. So uh, again, something else that people need to be just a little bit more cautious of, but we're going to be talking about holidays in a moment. Uh, the other thing I wanted to check with you is I saw a notice from one of the schools talking about um, which age groups don't need to wear masks, do need to wear masks. I was a bit concerned or maybe confused around that. Can you just take us through mask wearing in terms of children? Look, I think we're at a stage now where 90% of our children over the age of five are comfortable wearing masks. Mm. They have no issue with it. They're wearing it in grade R. They're wearing it in all the grades above that. You know, the younger kids for and under that might be struggling with it, but then they can wear visors. I think it is mandatory for all school children to wear masks. doesn't matter what age they are once they're over the age of grade R. I think it's negligent if children or if schools are putting out messages that the children don't need to wear masks and, and they need to be taken to task for things like that. Right. The vaccine. Um, I saw an article. Of course, it's wonderful news. Um, we saw the, the, the big announcement, 90% effective, really great, uh, great stuff. Uh, but, but what does that mean practically? The other thing that uh, I would like to address around this is I saw an article where they quoted Professor Barry Shub uh, about just how difficult uh, the transportation of, of, the, of, the, of the vaccine can be, given that it needs to be stored at uh, minus 70 or, or 80 degrees. And normal vaccines, I think it's uh, around about eight degrees or minus eight degrees. Um, but uh, take us through that. Okay, so I think we, we, we've got to take it one step back and actually say, how does this vaccine actually work? You know, before we discuss whether it will work or, or how good it is, or is it true, has it been peer reviewed? This is an mRNA vaccine, and that means a messenger ribonucleic vaccine. And scientists basically take part of the genetic code of the virus that's just enough to spark a human immune response. And this tells the cells what to build, and they coat this in a lipid, which is a fat layer, before it enters the body's cells. The vaccine then enters the cells and it tells the cells to produce the coronavirus spark protein. This then promotes the immune system to produce antibodies and activate the T killer cells and the T cells to detect and destroy infected cells. And so by doing this, the body then encounters the coronavirus, the antibodies are formed and T cells are triggered to fight this virus. Now, as you, as you correctly said, the virus needs to be stored at minus 70 degrees. Big problem the vaccine, in this country. Not the virus. The vaccine. So the vaccine needs to be stored at minus 70 degrees. This is a major problem because you need extremely expensive refrigeration or, or, or machines to contain these vaccines. Okay. And those cost anything from 150 to 300,000 Rand just to store the vaccines. And yeah, as a matter of interest, as a matter of interest, I just checked on our freezer uh, before the podcast, and I, and I 
and, and it's a fairly new uh, model, and that goes down to I think minus twenty four degrees. So if you if you look at you know the the difference, yeah, it's quite that's significant. That's very interesting you say that because I I didn't even know you knew where your kitchen was in your house. But moving I on had from to, no, I had to walk through it in order to come and do the podcast. So yeah, I mean it's a, it's a big problem on, on a scale. The fact that if you go into a rural area, they don't have that type of of money or infrastructure to store a freezer or that can go down to minus 70 degrees in that large sort of capacity. And, and that's a big problem. A normal vaccine can be kept in a, in a fridge or can be kept between two to eight degrees. And, and that's fine. But when you've got a vaccine at this scale, this mRNA vaccine, you have to keep it at minus 70 degrees to keep the cold chain before so the vaccine doesn't denature or doesn't break down. What they are looking at doing, and I don't know when this will happen, is, is freeze drying the vaccine into a powder, and then you can basically reconstitute it with a, a liquid, and that will only have to be kept at two to eight degrees. But they haven't even finished making the, the vaccine for Pfizer or BioNTech yet, which they do say is a 90% efficacy um, in, in, in preventing COVID-19. So before we get to the freeze dried vaccines, we've got to get the actual mRNA constituted vaccine delivered to us. And that's the other problem, which I, which I keep on saying. We're not the top of the log for getting the vaccine. So it may come out um, within the next month or two in the United States, they will start mass producing it. And it's much easier to produce an mRNA vaccine than it is a, a live or a weakened attenuated vaccine like we use in polio. And you can use uh, produce much higher numbers of it, but it will be a, a long time before we get the vaccine down here in, in the lower part of Africa. So I don't believe we will get the vaccine before April, May next year in this country, unless we start making it here under the right conditions. What do we know about the other vaccine, Johnson & Johnson? These, you, do we know how uh, the efficacy there, do we know any details around there? Is it conceivable? Apparently Moderna that, is about to release their efficacy right. as well. And I'm sure Johnson & Johnson will as well. I mean, they're all in their phase three trials and I think Pfizer just uh, beat them to it with, with their results. Yeah. So we're waiting for all of them to come up. But even the Moderna one is an mRNA vaccine as well. That also need to be stored at minus 70 degrees. So it's, so it's conceivable that all the vaccines will have the similar challenges. And, and we can't likely. say... Yeah. Most likely. Right. Um, and of course, that's going to present uh, a major problem. When would you hope to have the vaccine here realistically in South Africa? May, June, you know, we want the vaccine here for our winter period. You know, that's mm. going to be, as we see in the, in the Northern Hemisphere at the moment, they're taking big strain and under duress in their winter period due to the cold weather, people congregating inside together. Um, this is the time we needed the same, very much similar to the, the flu vaccine. You know, mm. it's definitely mm. got a more seasonal aspect to it than we thought initially. Yeah. A, a few people are, are asking, and uh, I, I would imagine that as time goes on, we're starting to see more information around this, is the long-term effects of COVID, particularly um, mental or, or cognitive, the cognitive impact on, uh, on people who have suffered from COVID. Right. So, so we've discussed this before, and you, get a, you can get a brain fog that people lose memory, and, and they can't remember their short-term memory is very much depleted. Uh, people still have a loss of smell, loss of taste. People suffer from headaches. 
there's a lot of depression and anxiety related to the COVID-19 and that's from the social lack of interaction and just the social norms that we're not used to anymore that have now been thrust upon us. And uh, in terms of uh, non, as you say, non-COVID sufferers, but all of us who have been um, confined to, to obviously to homes, people that are kids who, who haven't had the normal social lives that they normally have, um, are you seeing an increase in this uh, from, from other medical professionals who you speak to? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. There, there's a higher risk and there's a higher rate of, of parasuicides going along. Um, there's a lot more depression. There's a lot more anxiety that we're seeing across the board. So this is a, a, a real COVID-related long-term side effect or sequela. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, speaking of that, uh, that's why it's extremely important if you are able to financially, if you are able to practically to get away for a little bit as we're heading to, to the summer holidays here in South Africa. But it does come with its own set of anxieties. Let's just start off with, with the basics. Can we fly there? Should we rather drive there? And uh, are there places that we should rather not go? Hashtag Eastern Cape. So I think you've got to do what's comfortable for you and your family within the realms of safety. If you feel that it's safe for you to fly there, knowing the fact that you're going into a crowded airport, you're going into a crowded environment with people, if you're wearing your mask and if you're wearing a visor and if you're social distancing as much as possible and you think that's safe for you, then go for it. If you feel it's better to drive down, then do it safely. That, that's the important point. I think what, what, what we need to know is that if you're going down to a holiday area, you want to be at the shops as little as possible. So you, you must do things like online shopping, try and avoid them as much as possible, try and avoid large crowds, take extra masks with you, cloth masks and surgical masks, gloves, hand sanitizer, vases, um, take your concoction of vitamins, your, your cleaning equipment that you don't have to run to the shops all the time to clean your surfaces, um, and, and, and obviously, most importantly, suntan lotion, because I mean, in the hot summer month, the last thing we need is uh, suntan related uh, damage. But you've just got to take all the necessary requirements in order to make sure that you and your family are protected throughout your holiday time, that you can actually breathe and have a holiday and not have to worry. So I just want to go through that again, just some of, of the items you've mentioned, cloth masks, take dis- extra disposable masks, take hand sanitizer with you, cleaning equipment so uh, that you uh, don't have to go to the shops as much, disposable products, maybe uh, whatever is helpful in terms of hygiene, make sure that you know before you go away where you can shop online if there is an, a one uh, is if there is a place in the area and of course take things like your vitamins as well as a suntan cream and other things that you would take um, ordinarily uh, that list makes sense yeah that does make sense and and of note the cdc have come out with groundbreaking information um, they they previously said that if you wear a mask it prevents you from spreading the virus They now say that it protects wearers as well as others. I mean, who would have thought from contracting the coronavirus? This is the new guidance this week's by the CDC. Wow. So we actually even wear a mask for ourselves. Yeah, and for others. Can you believe it? And and for others. Yeah. Wow. If only we had mentioned that. Groundbreaking. Groundbreaking. Well, they are very, very early to that party. There's no question about that. Uh, 
there is a sense that things are getting much better. We don't want to be the prophets of doom. We don't want to be the uh, uh, be accused of fear mongering. But obviously, we do need to just be careful. It's so difficult when you tell us that hospitals are your hospital. There are no case, no confirmed cases. That things are getting better. We should be going on holiday. Very, very difficult to balance this, even though we know when we look at what's happening in France and Italy and America and, uh, and, and the UK, we know that this is potentially around the corner. How do we manage that? So I think we, we've got to take it and dial it down a notch and, and, and try and remember what it was like in July and August and how bad it actually was and what our frames of mind were at that stage. We don't want to get back to that stage. Okay? We don't want that to happen again. So we've got to actually remember the past to prevent the future. And, and that's a very important thing because albeit, yes, it is much better now. There's no doubt about it. We cannot drop our guard excessively. We can allow certain things that we didn't allow before and we can be good about it and we can be responsible about it. But we've got to realize that down the line, there's a high potential and a high chance of it happening again. We've got to be prepared for it and we've got to try to prevent it from being as bad as possible, knowing that we've done the right things. So it's not about fear mongering. It's not about being mm. prophets of doom. It's about the reality of what we're seeing all over the world at this, at this time. From yeah, and taking it forward. And I know it's not easy. It's not easy at all. It's not easy when my kids come say to me, but their friends are doing this and they can't because mm -hmm. um, you are the COVID police, but we do it for a reason because we need to protect. What do you think our offices are going to be looking like in January or February of next year? The same as it is now? Or See, do you think we'll get more? No, I, I think it all depends on what happens in, with, with international travel and with people going away on holiday and how responsible and careful people are. We still are desperate for our schools to open again in January. We still are desperate to go back to work and do these things. So if people can be responsible and know that once again, as you cross over the border, you still have to wear a mask. You still have to do these things. It's still mandatory to wear a mask to protect ourselves. Yes, if you're in the ocean, you don't have to wear a mask, but be responsible and just do the right things. And then hopefully we can continue where we're at now, which is much more tenable than where we were at two or three months ago. Absolutely. Is that good news? So, yeah, I think there is good news. The vaccine is nearing completion. We know that. Whether or not it's peer-reviewed or not, they're moving forward in the right direction. There's definitely a silver lining behind that cloud. The president didn't change the level of lockdown. That's also good news for us. So we continue doing what we're doing. And as you start off, there's sunny skies outside. We can go outside. We can swim. We can be humans. We can have outdoor activities. And just to quote, a smart person knows what to say. A wise person knows whether or not to say it. So be safe, look after yourselves, wear your masks, wash your hands and social distance. You see, it's very difficult now because what am I meant to say, if anything? 
<laughs> it's 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 wow that's a very very difficult one to follow either way i'm howard feldman this has been the sunday synthesis podcast as uh, we have done for the last i don't know eight nine 15, 137 months because it's very, very confusing this year. We'll be back with you next week. And uh, as I say, the end of September, uh, the end of November will be our last podcast for 2020, unless uh, something dramatic happens, in which case we will, uh, of course, inform you. I'm Howard Feldman. Have a fantastic day. Stay safe. And we'll see you next week.